This episode is brought to you by Learner's Edge. Learner's Edge offers practical teaching strategies and CEU credits. I'll tell you more about them later, but for now, let's get on with the show. BAM Radio Network. There are a lot of teachers out there that if a child is struggling, they keep the child in from physical education and they don't go to PE or recess. Yeah, it's like cutting off your legs and thinking you can run faster. You need sleep. You need to exercise. You need the evolutionary performance envelope of the human brain. And you need a whole bunch of research to do it because we don't know squat about how the brain works. Welcome to Every Classroom Matters. This is Vicki Davis, the Cool Cat Teacher, and you're listening to the show for busy teachers everywhere about the best practices that matter. Let's get started. Hello, teachers. Today, we have one of my favorite authors, John Medina from Brain Rolls, and we're going to talk about the big brain unfriendly mistake that schools are making today and what we can do to improve on them. Now, John, one of the things you say in your book is that our school system ignores the fact that every brain is wired differently. How so? Yeah, it's not only wired differently. There's a second component to that idea, and that is they not only the human brain not only is wired differently, we learn differently as a result of that wiring. You know, there has been this uh, mythology out there for a long time that there are things like learning styles based on a lot of Howard Gardner's earlier work. In fact, there's not just 7 or 11 or 13 learning styles. There are billions of learning styles. Each brain is wired differently and has different ways it wants its information uh, uh, presented to it. So you can say that there are billions of learning styles, and that's a fundamental error many educators make when they think that they can teach to some kind of interesting norm or some kind of mean when, in fact, every brain out there is going to uh, receive the information a little differently. Now, you seem to be critical of the grade structures based on age. Is that true or yeah. not? Yeah, I am critical of it. I don't think brain age has anything to do with chronological age. Have you ever looked at a photograph of middle school or 7th or 8th graders? If you just looked at the height of those kids, you see all kinds of things. You see kids that have actually transited through puberty just fine, and they look like many adults. There are others that look more like 5th graders because they haven't... Uh, gone through adolescence just yet. Adolescence is wired individually, and the every brain, by metaphor, is the same way. Every brain is different from every other brain, and at particular times of the year or the particular times of the calendar, just because you are of a certain age does not mean at all that your brain is in any way caught up with the chronological age uh, that you see. So, yeah, I am critical of it. So you think that we should be probably structured more in what way? If I could wave a magic wand and could do anything, and I realize I'm a white-coated uh, ivory tower type professor brain scientist, and I totally get this is not the real world, the optimum teacher-to-student ratio would probably be one to five, one teacher for five students. And the reason why is because every brain can hold about something. There's a concept called theory of mind, which is the ability to understand the rewards and punishment systems inside someone else's head. And a typical teacher can hold about five different brains in her or his head at any one particular time can hold about five degrees of theory of mind. Beyond that, it's just a guess. And by the time you get to 10 or 11 students, you're not teaching in any way, shape, or form based on the knowledge, the individual intimate knowledge of that person's learning style. 
you are just teaching to a mean. So if I could do anything, if I had an unlimited budget and a few bureaucratic constraints that could do anything, one of the first things I would do is that I would collapse. I would reduce the teacher-student ratio to about one to five. Wow. But we're not going to feel hopeless because there are other things we can do. In fact, some of the most striking research that really made me think differently is this whole link between exercise and learning. I mean, what do you say? You know, there are a lot of teachers out there that if a child is struggling, they keep the child in from physical education and they don't go to PE or recess. Yeah, it's like cutting off your legs and thinking you can run faster. It's not going to happen. uh, So what is the link here? Well, I'm actually usually pretty skeptical about applying anything in the cognitive neurosciences to the world of education. And the big reason why is that we just don't really know all that much, Vicki, about how the brain works. We don't know how you know how to pick up a glass of water and drink it, for example. But we do know something about its evolutionary performance envelopes, the conditions under which the brain was designed to optimize information transfer, and a lot of that includes exercise. This is the evolutionary performance envelope of the human brain. The human brain appears to have been designed to solve problems related to surviving in an outdoor setting in unstable meteorological conditions and to do so in near constant motion. We think on average we were walking around and scrambling around the sides of the Ngorgo crater and running across the Serengeti, maybe walking 20 kilometers a day, a day, seven days a week for millions of years. Our evolutionary history, this big, beautiful brain we have that is unlike any other brain in the planet, grew up and was forged in the fires where there was near constant exercise. So, you know, if I had another unlimited budget and a few bureaucratic constraint uh, magic wand type things and could uh, do anything in the classroom, one of the first things I would do is I would require school uniforms. Do you know what those school uniforms would be? They'd be gym clothes, and you would be a guided exercise classroom virtually the entire day punctuated with islands of learning. In fact, I think you could make a reasonable argument that you should do away with desks, that instead you should replace them with treadmills and that the kids should be walking 1.8 miles per hour while they were actually learning something. And I realize that's kind of an upended way of looking at the world of education. And like I said, I deal, I am an impractical, white-coated, ivory tower type scientist. Nonetheless, the data are very clear. The more you can exercise, the greater your executive function, that's what we call a very particular suite of behaviors that actually predicts academic success, the more you can exercise, uh, the better your brain is. We even know the sweet spot. You know, have you ever exercised, Vicki, and then get this uh, endorphin rush, right? You familiar with the endorphin at, rush? At, yeah. at mile one and a half, I run every morning at 5 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, well, I walk three miles a day. You can, I get the endorphin rush about an hour and a half. Actually, it's not just endorphins. It's also dopamine. An experiment was actually done with a group of, I think these were um, engineers uh, in Munich. This is done at the University of Tübingen. They knew if you can flood your brain with endorphins and dopamine for a period of time, uh, you learn better than at just about at any other time. So the best thing you could do would be to exercise, do a good full aerobic workout, and then instead of taking a shower – just sponge off a little bit and get your butt in a classroom and start learning because your brain is now optimized for learning and will stay optimal for about uh, maybe 120 minutes, two hours. The endorphin rush actually is it spikes at about two hours and then has this long eight-hour tail behind. So a group at the University of Tübingen did an experiment because they had to teach these old fart engineers Mandarin because they were going to open up an office in Beijing. So they had one group randomly assigned, uh, Group A, 
is going to be the treatment group where they're going to get exercise, and then immediately they sponge off and go sit in the classroom to learn Mandarin. And the other group didn't exercise, or there were, I think there was yet another control where they exercised but then had the class eight hours later. What they found, there was a 20% increase in the rate of Mandarin acquisition, okay? The rate wow. of Mandarin acquisition, the acceleration of the learning in the group that did the exercise two hours. So it suggests to me an experiment to try. Given that the United States does very poorly in the Tim's test and the PISA test, particularly in the math and sciences, if you have a class or a kid that's struggling in math, maybe one of the best things you could do for that class or for that kid is have them do an aerobic workout for half an hour, and then instead of taking a shower, go sit down in a classroom and teach them there. Their brain will be optimized for the learning. Yeah, that's an experiment to try. We don't know if that would work or not. It certainly worked with 45-year-old engineers learning Beijing. Whether that would work with mathematics is a, different, is a different question. Well, there's an interesting book, Spark, that we've had some other guests talk about that relates John to Rady. this. Yeah. Yeah. So I also want to get to man. this whole issue of sleep. So okay. you also had a study that, that when students got less just one less hour of sleep at night that their grades dropped significantly. Now, I know of a lot of students, and, and there have been things that, that have looked at students at how much sleep they're losing because they're looking at their cell phone or they're just not going to sleep. What is the impact of sleep deprivation in school? Well, sleep, the study actually that's where you get two hours of sleep left per night. Uh, you can get a powerful uh, loss of grade, particularly in a, in, a, in a math test. Yeah, it's a big deal. One of the biggest deals about it is that we now have a, a better understanding of why you need to sleep. A lot of people used to think that we slept because you needed to restore your energy. So energy restoration was a big deal. We now know that's an overly simplified uh, view of why we sleep. What you can show, Vicki, is that when you, if you've learned something during the day, when you go to sleep at night, if you can start to get a good night's rest, your brain actually wakes up. A part of it does and starts replaying the learning that occurred during the day over and over and over again. It's called offline processing. If you don't get a good night's sleep, you can't repeat the information you learned during the day over and over and over again. But if you do get a good night's sleep, then you have a much better shot at optimizing the uh, performance. In fact, I think sleep along with exercise are probably two of the strongest areas in the cognitive neuroscience, neurosciences that can have a direct application to the world of the classroom. Today we've been talking about the many different ways students learn and how we're biologically designed for moving and learning. Thanks for listening. Before we go, I want to tell you about another source for practical strategies, techniques, and tips that you can use in your classroom. It's called Learner's Edge. Learner's Edge offers continuing education courses that are specifically focused on strategies for improving your classroom practices tomorrow. They offer practical courses like engaging students with pop culture, keys to developing a motivating classroom, and positive interventions for students who challenge us. Learner's Edge also has relationships with several regionally accredited colleges and universities, so you can use these courses for CEU credits, relicensure, recertification, or salary advancement. The courses are self-paced and available online so that you can fit the course into your life and work on your course whenever and wherever you like. If you are planning to do some professional development this summer, you'll want to take a look at Learner's Edge. Just click the Learn More button on your screen to go to Learner's Edge. Or if you're listening by podcast, go to www.learnersedgeinc.com forward slash pod.
Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Every Classroom Matters. If you think today's guest is helpful or inspiring, will you share this show with someone else? I'm Vicki Davis, the Cool Cat Teacher, and I'm here to help. So give me a shout-out on Twitter. And thank you for making the best practices here on Every Classroom Matters part of your busy day. This program is produced by Accretive Media for the BAM Radio Network. Thanks for listening.